Well, you can uh, open up your Bibles to Ephesians 6 this morning, and as you do, I just want to remind you where we were last week in Ephesians 6, we were looking at the reality of spiritual warfare, the reality that that we as the Church of Christ are in a real spiritual battle with the kingdom of Satan against the authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness. And last week we were called to stand firm. We're picking up right in the middle of that passage this week. And as we think about this warfare, uh, every war has a front line. Every war that's being waged in the world has a front line where there are people who are fighting that war right right in the fray of it, and there are people behind them who are supporting those who are on the front lines. Think about in physical warfare, there are front line soldiers who are in the fray of battle, and and then there are supporting roles like military intelligence or paramedics or or those who uh, manufacture the weapons, but all these are supporting roles to those front line soldiers in the battle. Or think about right now in this battle we're waging against COVID-19, we have what we call frontline workers, right? Nurses, doctors, hospital staff, some of them here in our body. And then we have supporting roles for those frontline workers, those who make the protective gear for them, people in the community who bring them meals. Frontline, people who are right in, uh, uh, dealing with the attacks on the front lines and those who are supporting them. When we think about spiritual warfare, what is the front line of spiritual warfare? We saw last week that Satan hates the glory of God. Satan hates God being glorified. And in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 told us that salvation is to the praise of God's glory. The redemption of sinners is for the glory of God. So if Satan hates the glory of God, and if salvation is to the glory of God, then, then we can say this is true. Spiritual warfare intensifies wherever the advancement of the gospel is prioritized. Spiritual warfare intensifies wherever the advancement of the gospel is prioritized. While every single member of Christ's church is involved in spiritual warfare, because this is true, we can say in a real sense that, that missionaries find themselves on the front lines of spiritual warfare. Those who are taking the gospel into territory, so to speak, where, where Satan has been left unchallenged and, and are taking the grace of God to those who are lost. This is the front line of spiritual warfare. And and churches who send these missionaries, we are called to be that supporting role. We are called to to not just send and forget, but to to help and be a part of it and participate and support them. So this is where we pick up today. Like I said, Paul has been speaking of spiritual warfare. And he picks right up in the middle of this. And let's just look at the passage starting in verse 18. He says at the end of 18, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how, I'm, how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So when we think about the Apostle Paul, we tend to think, uh, like I said, he's an apostle. He's a a leader of the early church. He's the author of New Testament letters. But I think Paul's basic self-identity was practically, he's a missionary. He was a missionary. He was sent by the church at Antioch to take the gospel to places where Christ had not been named. And so when we read portions of his letters like this, we should be reading Paul as a missionary writing to churches who support him. 
As a missionary, Paul knew the intensity of spiritual warfare. Over and over again in his letters, we find him saying things like, Satan prevented me, or Satan opposed me, or Satan harassed me. Paul continually dealt with the, the opposition of Satan as he advanced the gospel. And so in this passage, after giving instructions to the church on standing firm in spiritual warfare, in this passage, Paul, Paul wants to include himself and say, as a missionary, as someone who's advancing the gospel, as you stand firm, as you pray, as you as you do battle in this warfare we are all a part of, pray for me. Remember me in this. Paul values the church's support of his ministry as he takes the hope of the gospel to places where Satan's activity has gone unchallenged. And, and this morning, as we see the kind of support that Paul values, we're going to learn the kind of support that we as a sending church must give to our missionaries. That, that's a, it's a very practical focus in the message today. We send missionaries they are on the front lines of spiritual warfare. They are taking the gospel to places where it has never been before. And we must support them. We must offer them help. This text shows us two ways that we must do this. Very simple. Two ways that we must support the missionaries that we have sent. First, we must support our missionaries by interceding for them. We must support our missionaries by interceding for them. You know, I went on a lot of short-term missions trips when I was in high school, early college, and every time you go on a short-term trip, uh, what you traditionally do is you write a letter, and you send it to everyone you know who has money, <laughs> and you hope that they pay your way to go on this trip, especially as a high schooler. And so you send us a letter and say, here's what we're doing, and here's how much we need. Would you consider supporting me? And if so, you can write your your amount here, and then there's always a box that we would, that's on these that says, I will support you through prayer. You can check the box. And, you know, I'll just tell you, as a high schooler, I didn't really care about people checking the prayer box. I wanted the money to get on the trip. That's not how Paul thought. That's not the right way to think. Paul valued prayer. Paul valued the church praying for him. Over and over in his epistles, he asks the churches, pray also for me as I take the gospel to those in need of it. Look at what he says here in this, in this section. He, he's, again, he's saying, you're making supplication for all the saints, include me. Pray also for me. Make supplication for me. And, and then what does he pray for? Look, in verse 20, he says he's an ambassador in chains. This is, a, this is a reminder that Paul is in prison right now. Paul is literally in chains when he says that. He, he is chained to a Roman soldier. What might Paul pray for? What might Paul ask the church to request of God? We might immediately think for his freedom, for his deliverance. But that's not what he asks for, is it? He doesn't pray for freedom. He doesn't ask them to pray for his freedom. He asks them to pray for his faithfulness. He asks them to pray for his faithfulness. Look at what he says. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul says, pray that God would give me words so that when I proclaim the gospel, I do it well. Now, let's think about what Paul's saying here. He, he, this is Paul, right? Like I said, he, he's written epistles. He wrote Ephesians. Do you think Paul is confused about the content of the gospel? Is Paul not sure? Like, what is the gospel again? I, I need words. 
No, Paul knows the gospel. Paul, we, we, we've looked at the gospel in Ephesians, and, and, and here's what we've seen from Paul as God revealed the mission of the gospel to him. We, this is what he said, that, that, that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for sinners, to rise again, so that by grace, through faith, we might be saved. And even though we were under God's wrath, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God makes us alive with him. He forgives us of our sin. He sets us free. He brings us into his new family, all by his grace, all for his glory. This, this is the mystery of the gospel that Paul's been expounding. Paul's not confused about the gospel. The gospel is the message of who God is, holy and righteous. He's the creator of, of, of all of us. We're accountable to him. We've sinned against him. We deserve his wrath. We, we are separated from him. Left on our own, our only hope is that, is that God will be gracious to us, and he has. He has. He sent his son to die for our sins, rise again. By grace and not by works, we are saved and we respond through faith. Paul's not confused about that. But he says that I may have words, words might be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim that gospel. What is he asking for? He's not asking for a revelation of the content of the gospel. He's asking that God would give him wisdom in the presentation of the gospel. I think you guys understand this. Most of you, I believe, if someone came up to you and asked, what is the gospel? You would be able to simply explain what the gospel is to them. But that doesn't happen very often, does it? We don't get someone coming up to us saying, tell me what the gospel is. No, usually we have to navigate our way to the gospel in conversations. We have to navigate opportunities so that we have the, the, the moment where we can say, here's what the gospel is. And this is the same for Paul. He didn't, he didn't have a canned presentation that he took everywhere he went. When he was in Athens and when he was in Jerusalem, he presented the gospel differently. Same gospel, but different presentation for the moment, for the people he was presenting to. And he's saying here, pray that I might have that wisdom. Pray that words would be given so that I can navigate gospel opportunities and actually proclaim the gospel in these situations. And that's so encouraging to me, just, just as an aside, to know that, that Paul felt the need for, for, for prayer for this. He didn't look at himself and say, I'm, I'm great at this. I'm an expert at this. I, I know exactly what to do to get to the gospel. He said, no, pray for me that I could have words to navigate those conversations and proclaim the gospel. And then, and then at the end, he says, that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And again, just think about, we think about Paul. We think he's, he's the greatest missionary who's ever lived. He's, he's, he's a super missionary, right? But, but no, Paul felt fear. Paul was afraid. Paul could shrink back. Left to himself, Paul knew that he didn't have inherent boldness or inherent courage. And he asked the church, pray that I might be bold. Pray that when the opportunity to share the gospel comes, I would not shrink back, but I would take it. And I would speak it as I ought, because I'm an ambassador for Christ. And, and, and it would be unfaithful of me to, to try to soften the gospel, to try to take off the sharp edges of the gospel, to try to make it more palatable to my hearers, to, to, to not take the opportunity for fear of persecution, to pray that I might be bold with that gospel, declare it as I ought. This is what Paul is asking the church to pray for, not his freedom, his faithfulness in taking the gospel. This is why we send missionaries, isn't it? We send missionaries so that they can take the gospel to people in need of it. 
And this is exactly what Paul prays for, and this is what we must pray for. We must intercede for our missionaries regularly. It's the application at this point. We must support our missionaries by interceding for them regularly. I'm not going to tell you it has to be five times a day or once a day or once a week, but some sort of regular pattern. We have four missionaries that we have sent out overseas from this church that we are supporting. Each one of us should be praying for them regularly. And so I want to encourage you to make a plan to do that. Make a plan to pray for your missionaries. You know, one thing that we're trying to do corporately is to pray for one of these missionaries and one of our partnership ministries in the area once a week. And then we're rotating every week to the next one so that every month we are praying together for these missionaries and ministries. So maybe that's how you follow. Maybe, so what, what did we pray for on Sunday? And I'll, I'll pray for that missionary and that ministry this week. But whatever it is, make a plan. Incorporate it into your family worship or your personal worship, but make a plan. If, if you don't plan to pray for missionaries, you probably won't do it. Just the reality. You need to plan to pray for them. When you're praying for them, another application on this point is that we need to prioritize the advancement of the gospel. When we're praying for our missionaries, listen, there are going to be times when they are suffering. There are going to be times when they are facing challenges, facing persecution. It's not that we shouldn't pray for those things at all, but look at Paul's heart. He's not asking them to pray for his circumstances to change. He's asking them to pray that he might have boldness and wisdom to advance the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. And this is what every missionary wants in their heart, is that that they might be faithful. And so when we pray for our missionaries, the one priority we pray for above all the rest is God help them to proclaim the gospel as they ought. Give them wisdom, give them opportunities, give them boldness to do this. This must just be the theme of our prayers for missionaries over and over again. No matter what else is going on, God, we have sent them to advance the gospel. You have called them to advance the gospel. We pray that you would advance the gospel through our missionaries. When you're praying for them, remember their insufficiency. Listen, our missionaries are not up to the task. They're not left to themselves just like Paul. They won't be wise They won't be bold. They won't take opportunities. They will be drawn to comfort and self-preservation. But that's why Paul prayed for the church to ask the church to pray for these things. I know left to myself, I'm not going to be faithful. But by you praying for me and by God working in me, I will be. The best missionaries are those who go humbly. They don't go believing in themselves, but they go humbly knowing that they are weak but that God is strong and that God can work through them. And as a church who sends them, we must remember they are insufficient for this. Not to look at missionaries like spiritual superheroes. No, they they are struggling just like the rest of us. And we must remember that as we pray for them and ask God to make them sufficient for the task. And then we must pray believing that God will answer. We believe that God is sovereign in salvation. God has chosen those he will save. He has said in his word that people from all nations will come to know him. We believe these things because God's word teaches them. Yet, God also says he will accomplish that through people going with the gospel and proclaiming it and through people praying for that gospel to be received. We must believe that our prayers are a means that God uses to save the lost. Our prayers for our missionaries are a means that God will use to advance the gospel through our missionaries. We are part of the chain, so to speak. You are integral to the task of our missionaries. This is not just up to them and the Lord. This is, this is something that we are all a part in. 
And so believe that God will use your prayers. Believe that God will respond. Believe that God will answer. And that as we pray for this, our missionaries will see God answering those prayers, giving them wisdom, giving them opportunity, giving them boldness, and reaching the lost. So we must support our missionaries by interceding for them first. Second, we must support our missionaries by investing in them. Investing in them. You know, I was looking at some different statistics this week. I know I've seen this before, and there's, there's a few different numbers out there, but I don't, don't have any reason to think that these statistics aren't true. Missionaries burn out fast. Missionaries burn out fast. Most missionaries actually go to the field for one to three years before they come home. Why is that? You understand that a missionary can't go somewhere for one to three years and hope to have planted a, a healthy church. It takes much longer than that to plant a healthy church in a people group that's never heard the gospel before. And so when these missionaries come home, they're coming home not having completed what they were sent to do. Why do they do this? Why do they come back? You know, most often it's not because they need money. And so when I say invest, I'm not talking primarily about giving. Yes, we should give to our missionaries, but that's, that's not why they're coming home. They're supported. They're coming home because they're discouraged. They're coming home because they're lonely. They're coming home because they are, they're in another culture by themselves, uh, apart from what we have here this morning, a, a church that is surrounding them, loving them, praying for them. They don't have that with them there. They're facing obstacles they never even knew that they would have. And they, 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 they can't do it, and they come home. What do they need? They need the church to be the church for them still. They need the church to be invested in them personally, to be relationally connected to them. They need encouragement from the body who sent them. I believe that's what we see in these uh, concluding verses in Ephesians. We're going to look at the very last two verses next week, but as Paul gives these final greetings, we see Paul's value on the relational connectedness he wanted to have with the Ephesian church. He valued and invested church. We see that he says, he talks about this, this guy Tychicus. He says, I've sent Tychicus to you for this very purpose. What purpose? Why did Paul send Tychicus? He, he's, he's a, he's a, he says he was a beloved brother, a faithful minister. So, so someone like that is valuable to you on the mission field. He is a partner with him, but he's sending him away to the Ephesian church. Why? So that you may know how we are. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing. The reason Paul sent Tychicus was to help the church know how Paul was, know what Paul was doing, and be invested in Paul at a relational level. I think, I think this, is, this is a really simple and, and, and great paradigm for us as we think about how we want to invest in our missionaries. How are they? How are they doing? This is a personal question. This is not how many people have come to know Christ. This is not how is the church doing? How are the efforts going? This is how are you doing? How's your heart? How's your family? How's your marriage? How's your walk? Are you encouraged? Are you discouraged? Missionaries deal with real life over there just like we deal with real life over here. And Paul wants them to know how he was doing. We should know how our missionaries are doing personally connected to that. But then we should know what they are doing, how I am and what I am doing, what our activities are. This is a ministry update. This is what's going on in the business, what's going on in the ministry, what, what's going on in language school, how, how are things progressing. We want to know these things as well. 
how they are and what they're doing. And look, he says, I've also sent him that he may encourage your hearts. And this shows that, that missionaries and churches should have a true mutual partnership. As much as we send missionaries wanting them to, to take the gospel and, and plant churches, they look back at the churches they sent and say, I hope they're encouraged. I hope they're strengthened. I want to help them. I want to serve them. It's a true partnership that we have. There's real relationship here. We're, we're invested. They're not just... They're not just people on a bulletin board that we know we send money to. We have a real relationship with them. They love us, and we love them. We're invested in them. And so, church, we need to invest in our missionaries intentionally. And I just want to say before I give any of these specific applications that, that I believe Redeemer's done a wonderful job at this over the years. We have had several of our missionaries over and over again say how loved and supported they feel by the church at this relational level. So this is all just in vain. Keep going. Let's, 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 let's continue to be an encouraging church to our missionaries. But, but as, as a church, we can do this, but also as individual families, you can do this. And that's my hope, is that right now you'll find some ways, just as an individual family, to invest in your missionaries intentionally that we have sent from the church. And so some ways to do this, just real simple, sign up for their newsletters. All of our missionaries have newsletters. All of our missionaries have ways of updating us. They, they, instead of sending a Tychicus, they send an email, right? But that's how they're telling us how they are, what they're up to. This is how we get those updates from them. This is, this is the primary way we can do that. And so if you're not signed up for our news, their newsletters, then, then go to that back table and, and get some information and sign up for them. Second, write them notes of encouragement. Do this on Facebook Messenger. You can do this on email. You could even write a real letter. I probably shouldn't do that. My handwriting is so bad. But... Some of you that have good handwriting, do it. Write them a real letter and let it get there in their mailbox. And just, I mean, what, what an amazing thing it would be if all of our missionaries regularly received encouraging notes, not just from a pastor, but from the church, from families in the church. Maybe a family that didn't even know was praying for them. And they say, our church supports you. We are praying for you. How's it going? Just wanted you to know that, that we are invested in your ministry. How encouraging would that be to a missionary who's discouraged on the field? So write them notes. Connect with them when they're home. We have one couple that's home right now with us. Connect with them. Just build that relationship up. Cultivate it. Because they're not going to be here for very much longer. This particular couple, you guys know who I'm talking about, they, they, they may be gone for five years before we see them again in person. So take advantage of the time to be with them and to connect with them when they're home. And then the last application on investing is go to them. Go to them in person. Take a trip. Plan a vacation where you are not going on vacation. T take a trip to see one of our missionaries. In a few minutes, we're going to watch a video interview that I had with the Kemps yesterday, but we were talking about the team that came to see them a little over a year ago. And Scott told me when, when the Redeemer team came, the Kemps' hair was on fire. That's how he said it. Was their hair on fire, literally? Was it? Yeah. All right. Almost, yeah. So they were, they were in a bad place. They were struggling deeply. And the Redeemer team came, and he just said it was, it was just God's provision of encouragement to us that they came, and we just, they were just refreshing, and they prayed for us. And I, I know the team gave them a night out. to They, they babysat their kids so they could go on a date for the first time in years. I mean, this is missionary partnership, too. 
This is investing in the Great Commission. This, this is being relationally connected to our missionaries. And they all will need this at some point. Make plans to go see them. We will make plans as a church to provide those opportunities as much as we can. Last year, Jay Haynes publicly invited every single one of you to Hawaii. I mean, come on, guys. Like, it's Hawaii. Let's go. Let's go see them and let's encourage them as soon as we can. Invest in our missionaries. Two simple ways. We're praying for them. We're investing in them. This is how we partner. We don't just give and forget, but we, we pray and we relationally find ways to connect and encourage them. I want to look at Revelation chapter 7 for just a moment here as we close. Revelation chapter 7 gives us a picture of the day when all nations of the earth will be worshiping God. This is the goal that God has shown us the outcome. We are working toward it each day. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God shows us what's going to happen someday. He shows us that all peoples will be redeemed before the throne, praising God, praising the Lamb of God, ascribing all these attributes of glory and might and honor to, to them because God is our Savior. And this is our goal. God has saved us to the praise of his glory. Our hearts beat for the praise of his glory. And missions is all about seeing his glory magnified. Many of you probably have heard the phrase, missions exist because worship doesn't. We want to see people worshiping God from all over the world. That's what's driving us. But how will this happen? How will this happen? Yes, it's by missionaries going to the ends of the earth with the gospel. They need to go. They need to, those people need to hear. They need someone to preach it to them. They need to be sent so, 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 so this one needs to happen, but, but how will that happen? How will missionaries go and stay and persevere and, and, and be there with those people to the point that they actually plant a church? It's by the means of churches supporting them along the way through prayer and through love, through intercession and through investment. This is our part as a sending church in the Great Commission as it applies to all the nations. We don't just send, but we pray and we invest, knowing that God will use our prayer and investment to accomplish the Great Commission. So church, intercede for our missionaries regularly. Invest in our missionaries intentionally in the confidence that God will save those that they are seeking to reach. And think about this. One day... We who sent them, those who were sent, and those that they went to will all worship God together in a new heaven and a new earth. That day is coming. Those who sent, those who went, and those who were reached will worship God together. 
And that's the confidence we have as we intercede and we invest.